Um, we're going to read a passage on which this kind of series is based. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, if you'd stand with me and we'll read this passage, I'll read it for us. From Romans 12 in the message version. So here's what you want to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best, the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. This is God's word. You can grab a seat. Well, we're in a series, uh, in a summer series, on what we call the rule of life, which is just a bunch of practices and habits that help us to become people like Jesus. And our graphic is, is this one. Uh, it comes from Psalm 1, where it talks about the vision of what it means to be human is like this tree, this tree that's rooted deeply in practice and in God's word by streams of living water that grows up strong and tall, that bears fruit in season, and it's evergreen, blessing the world. And so this is the vision of, of who we are and what God invites us into as his people. And, and from here, we have 12 practices that, that make up our community or our communal rule of life, just 12 different practices that we, we want to have, uh, we aspire to, to help us to become those kinds of people. And uh, so there's 12 of them there. All the information of this is online, and we've got a couple printouts in the back in the foyer there if you want to grab some. But today we're going to talk about one of these practices, which is this one here with the, the little word bubbles, and it's the practice of spiritual friendship, spiritual friendship. So uh, why are we talking about friendship in a church? Well, there's four different reasons why. The first is that it's actually a really important theme in the Bible. Friendship is a really important theme in the Bible. Let me just give you a few examples. Very early on in the story of the Bible, in fact, the first story, it mentions friendship. So if you've ever read the first few poems in the Bible, the first few chapters, it says that God is creating, and he uses this word, good, again and again. Everything is good. Some things are very, very good. But then eventually it says one thing is not good, and that it's not good for man to be alone. And uh, in a very, I think, I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but I find it funny. They search far and wide for a partner, and they look for, in, like, with all the animals, and they're like, is this a good friend for you? Is this dog a good friend for you? They don't find a good friend. And so God, it says, creates woman, a partner and a friend for the man. It's not good for man to be alone. And we also see that God, with these people, uh, it says in chapter 3 that he's walking with them, he's searching for them in the cool of the garden, which means in that time in, in the ancient, hot ancient Near East, people would come out and commune with their friends at that time. And that's, what, that's the picture of friendship in the Bible. There's three people. There's there's the two humans in relationship with each other and then in relationship with God. So right in the very beginning of the story, there's this picture of friendship that we're invited into. The Proverbs, uh, the book of Proverbs, which talks about how to live a wise life, an ancient, an ancient wisdom for a wise life, talks a lot about friends as well. Let me just give you one passage from Proverbs 18. One with many friends may be harmed, but there's a friend who stays closer than a brother. So if you read through the Proverbs, you'll see there's many Proverbs like this talking about what it means and how important good friends are and how to make good friends. And then, of course, there's many examples of friends in the Bible. There's Jonathan and David. There's Jesus and the disciples. There's Ruth and Boaz. There's Paul and the Ephesian elders. If you've ever read through Acts, there's this very sad but also beautiful moment where Paul is leaving this, this place. And he's coming to, the, the elders come around him and they just cry and they weep. It's this beautiful outpouring and display of friendship that they have with one another. So there's lots in the biblical story that talks about friendship. 
The second is the, the history of the church actually is littered with um, essays and people writing about friendship. Some of the, the church, early church fathers would write very clearly about friendship. And I was very surprised in my research this week as I prepared for this time how often they write about, they write about friendship. Now, I won't bore you with all the details and, and mention all of them. I'll just, I'll just do one. This is fun for me. Uh, there's a guy named Eliard of Raveau, and he, he was a monk. Uh, he was very well known at the time, not like, I don't know if there are monks today, but he was a public figure, basically. He would uh, be brought in to, to talk with kings and consult with kings, brought in in cases of wisdom. He, he was somebody that was very much revered in his society. And at the end of his life, he wrote a bunch of letters, and they're all about spiritual friendship, and they're in this book uh, called Spiritual Friendship. And uh, in the preface of this book, the compiler of these letters said, it talks about where Eliard got all of his information from. And he quotes in this book 37 different uh, books from scripture. And then he also uh, quotes a lot of different source material from church fathers, all, all the way from 13, or 33 BC, all the way to his time, 1300. So throughout this time, there's been people writing about friendship. Let me just give you a list of some of the names. Cicero, Euripides, Terence, Sallust, Seneca, Xenophon, Cassian, Jerome, Ambrose, and Augustine. I know you have all their books in your library at home. You can go consult them later. But the point is just to say that these people are all writing as church fathers. They're writing about friendship. It's an extremely important topic in the early church. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, which we'll look more at throughout this sermon, he says this, to the ancients... Friendship seemed to be the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. And so it's all throughout the history of the church, especially early on, that people would write about friendship and how important it is as a spiritual discipline. The third reason is because of a lack of friendship is a, is a really big problem in our modern world. Um, does it, do any of you guys know who this person is on the screen? Anyone? Her name is Tracy Crouch, and she is the Minister of Loneliness in the UK. That is her job. So the government in the UK saw that loneliness was such a big problem that they actually appointed someone in government to deal with the issue. They were finding loneliness as having so many bad side effects. It's worse than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, they say. And so they appointed this woman, God bless her, I don't know what she's going to do, but to, to help deal with this, maybe she's going to just friend everyone on Facebook. I don't really know. But like she's, she's to deal with the problem of uh, the loneliness in the UK. And people in Canada are, are calling for something like this to happen as well. Vancouver is known as a very cold and unfriendly city. Vancouver Foundation did some research in 2017. Here's an infographic of it. They found that one in seven people in the city are lonely, and one in four people in the city call themselves isolated. And these are pre-pandemic numbers. All the stats that have been taken, all the polls that have been taken since the pandemic, it's shown that the pandemic has actually created uh, worsened social bonds with people. So I can imagine that the numbers are worse. And then there's this woman in Vancouver. Her name is Katrina Martin. She moved to Vancouver, and she just had a terrible time trying to make any friends. And she was finding her life to be more and more polarized online. And so she started this Instagram account just helping people to make friends in Vancouver. And, it, and in less than a year, it's got 10,500 followers, which I'm told is not many. I'm not on social media. But if you think about it in terms of Vancouver, there's only about 700,000 people in Vancouver. If 10,500 of them are on this uh, Instagram account, that's about 15% of people here. And so it's, it's an issue here, and many of us know that. 
And then finally, the reason why uh, we're talking about friendship today is it's the reason why many of us are in a faith community. Um, you know, like Mitch said, we do come to church for Jesus, and that's what we're all about here, but there's lots of churches in the city. So why would we come here? It's, it's to find people that we can be friends and in community with. And this came um, very apparent to me over the last couple of years. We've had about 50% of our church from pre-pandemic uh, leave the church over the pandemic. They've, they've moved. About half of those people just moved right out of the city. They moved to like Alder Grove or to Calgary or to Minnesota. They moved all over the world. But the other half of people, they didn't leave because they were like they didn't like us or that they thought we were doing something wrong. Almost all of them left because all of their friends left. And so they said, like, all of my social bonds are loosened here, and I'm going to go to a place where I can be with my friends. And so this is one of the things that we're, we're, we're here for. It's one of the true values, and especially in a small community church like ours, relationships is one of the really key and important reasons that we're here. So why, why, that's, that's why we're talking about friendship. Why is friendship so hard? Why is it so hard and so difficult for us to maintain in here, in the church community, and also out in, in our world? And I'll give another four reasons for us here. In his essay, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis uh, explores the passage in 1 John 1 where it says God is love. And he, he says, what does this mean that God is love? What is love? And he breaks it down into four different Greek words. The first word you may have heard of is agape. Maybe some of you are in a Christian band called agape at one point in time, or that's Marissa, your youth group. Um, Agape is this unconditional love of God. We're familiar maybe with this word, the unconditional love of God that we receive from being in relationship with him. That's the first one. The second one is called storge love, and this is affection. So as a group of people like this that we show care for one another, we, we sign up for meal train, we serve one another. The third one is called phileo. That's friendship, a friendship kind of love. But the fourth one is eros, and this is romantic love. And Lewis and many other authors have said that in our culture, what we've done is we've elevated eros, this romantic love. And so when we think of love, that's all we think of. It's just romantic love, and all of the rest of them are lowered, like they live in the shadow of romantic love. And this shows up in the way that we do art. Let's imagine that you go home, and you go onto uh, Spotify or Apple Music. Apple Music, if you're cool, right, Cam? I've been told I'm not cool because I have Apple Music, but that's cool. Uh, but if you go home and you, and you try to put all of the songs that you can find on, about friendship onto a playlist, how long do you think that playlist would last? Maybe a day, maybe two? Let's imagine you go and try to put all the songs about love on a playlist. I'm thinking it's going to last a couple decades. And it's just one example of an art, how we elevate this eros, how we elevate romantic relationships above friendship. We also do it in the way that we even talk about things. What's a better comment? I'm going to give you two, and you tell me which is a better one. I'm in love, or we're just friends? <laughs> what gets your heart racing? What gets the blood pumping? Or what if I said this, he's my man, or he's my bae? I don't know what the kids are saying these days. Or she put me in the friend zone, which is a better statement. So we can even see in the way that we talk about these things that we elevate romantic relationships. And friendship is clearly the less of the two. And I think in our mind, some of us might be saying, yes, our culture, it's, it's just obsessed with relationships and, and sex. But Christians also have succumbed to this idea where we've elevated romance above everything else and, and minimized friendship. We've just done it in a different way, in a more conservative way, generally speaking. And we overemphasize romantic relationships with a bent towards 
the nuclear family. I was going to quote it, but I don't have time. David Brooks has a great article, if you're interested in him, uh, called The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. Very right on the nose. You can read it. It's an excellent article. Um, but for us, it's true that we also put uh, the nuclear family up above everything and therefore minimize friendship. Andrea Tischer, who was here preaching last week, a friend of mine, we went out for lunch together afterwards, and she was talking about how when she was in her 20s, she uh, was working at Regent. She was doing, uh, running the chapel at Regent, and she was really fulfilled in her life. And she loved her job, but she was single, and just how much pressure she felt by people to get married, kind of to move on to the next stage of life, to elevate this Eros relationship. And some of us can understand. We've experienced that in the church as well. And so the first reason that friendship is so hard is because we've elevated romance and, and therefore friendship just lives in the shadow. The second reason, I think, is because we have a need for friends and this desire for friends, but we also have a competing desire, which is a desire for platform. James K. A. Smith, whose great book, uh, I'll quote from him in his great book, The Road from St. August, Augustine, or sorry, the, On the Road with St. Augustine, he says this, we've been handed a generic cultural version of authenticity we drink up, with our Disney Channel subscriptions. Resist the crowd, rise above the masses, be true to yourself, forge your own path, you do you, they tell us. The storyline of every Disney movie. Of course, you need to Instagram your trailblazing path to self-discovery so everyone can see and constantly check your likes to confirm that your authenticity has been validated. But others are there for adulation. The only we is the competing, or is the we competing for attention. He's basically saying people exist in our world for one of two purposes, to applaud us, to watch us, to be our audience, or to compete against. That's what it does. And then this, this great sentence, does this recipe for authenticity explain why we might be so lonely? I think it does. I think it does. So that we have this need for friends, but we have this competing desire for performance in our culture. The third reason is because of the season of life that we're in. Some seasons of life are just really difficult to make friends. Many of us have moved here uh, to Vancouver from another place. And so we've let, left the large network that we have, whether that's from Abbotsford or from Tuktiuktuk. I don't know where you come from, but we come from a place and we move here. I was thinking about this for myself. When I was in high school, so I lived in a really small town, uh, I, when I was in high school, two of my best friends moved away and one of them died. So three of my best friends left in different ways. But I still had like 200 other people that I was in network with, people that I had grown up with. And so I had a lot of other really good friends that could rise up out of that network when those friends left. But when we move, we root ourselves away from that group of people. And, and therefore, if any of our friends leave for whatever reason, it's really hard to make new friends. So the season of life, if we've migrated here, is, is uh, something to think about. The second is the distance from natural friend-making environments. You know, youth and early adulthood are just filled with friendship-making environments, whether it's school, be it high school or primary school or secondary school, uh, team sports, um, people that grow up with you on the same block, or going to camp together. My daughter just went to camp with like 300 people, and there's just a natural friend-making environment. But for many of us, that's not the season of life that we're in anymore. We're not youth, we're not in those seasons of life where it's natural friendship-making environments. And then the third is that we have kids. So um, maybe before you had kids, for many of us, as we just announced two more babies in our community, for those of us who had kids, before we had kids, you have about seven hours every day of free time. And those of you who don't have kids are like, no, we don't. I'm here to tell you, you do. And uh, so seven hours, you just don't maybe know it, uh, of free time every, every day. And then when you have kids, it goes maybe down to seven hours a week. 
or a month or a quarter, however you run your life. And so the time available for friendship just shrinks quite obviously. And then your priorities changed. Uh, I, I remember this quite clearly. There's one story uh, shortly, I think it was shortly after we had the twins. I was getting my haircut at my barber and there was somebody sitting next to me and so the, the two barbers and us we were all engaged in a conversation. There was four of us. We're just chatting normally and then the guy in the chair next to me starts talking about how he's buying these, these Japanese toys called bear bricks. I forgot to put a picture of them up um, but they're, they're not toys you play with. They're like figurines for adults, not adult figurines, but figurines for adults that you just put on your shelf. And um, they're, they're very, very expensive. He told us about it for 20 minutes, and, and they also appreciate in value. Like, so they, get, they become more valuable over time. And so we're just chatting about this, and everybody's kind of going around and talking about it and how they might invest in it. And I remember thinking, kind of the conversation shifted towards me at one point in time, and I remember thinking, like this is shortly after we had kids, I'm like, what could I even talk about that these guys would like also get? And I was thinking like, yeah, I mean, we're also buying stuff online, like we're thinking about City Select stroller and like, are we going to do the side by side or like the one up, one down? I don't know, it's big decisions. We're definitely going to do the black though, because that's dope, and uh, get a kick plate in case there's an extra kid around. And I'm just like thinking like, they were just, nobody is, they're going to black out if I talk about these things. And so our priorities change, the things we focus on change, and that's natural and that's, that's good. But it does make it difficult to relate and have friends. So that's the third reason is the season of life. And then finally is the transience of the city. The city specifically. In 2021 and 2022, these are the first two years in the last 50 years that there are less people living in Vancouver than there were last year. People have moved away. And there, there's a mass exodus due to two reasons primarily, I think. The first is the pandemic. As peop, it's polarized us and it's shrank our, our social circles and we just haven't been able to be around each other. But the second reason is the cost of living here, obviously, and I don't need to tell you about it, but in our community specifically, a lot of people moved to places where life was more affordable. Kind of the rationale was, you know, I had these conversations as people were processing moving. Why would I live in 700, 600, 800 square feet with three kids when I can go live in my parents' basement for free, can keep my job here in the city and work remote and save up for a two-car garage? That's kind of like the general principle, and it makes sense. That's why people have left. And it's been really, really hard on our community. You know, our family has been here. We're, we're now the OGs, I think, of this community. We've been here for about 10 years. And we're on our third set of, of friends and, and people here that we are good, close with. When we started coming, we had a lot of people in our age group, a lot of people who were having kids around the same age as us. And then they, over two to three years, moved away. Squamish, Kelowna, uh, all over the place. And then we made a bunch of new friends. And then many of them also moved away in the pandemic. And now we're just left with you guys. And I don't know what we're going to do about that. No, no, we have a lot of good friends here too. But it, is, it still takes its toll on you. And, and if you've been around the city long enough, you'll know that. As people move away, it takes its toll. So before I, I continue on, I'm actually just going to take a couple minutes. And I want you to just think about these four reasons. And maybe there's other reasons. But I want you to just turn to somebody beside you, a couple people, because we're only going to take a few minutes, and just have a conversation. You know, what makes it hard to create and maintain friendships for you in the city? So maybe it could be one of these reasons. Maybe it could be something else. So just quickly introduce yourself if you don't know each other. And then have a, have a quick little conversation. What, are, what makes it hard to create and maintain relationships, friendships for you in the city? So now we're going to look at the Bible and, and kind of just like it, it falls in the wisdom category, but like what does the Bible, if anything, does it have anything to say to us about how we might make friendships and what it looks like to have spiritual friends? And I want to say, so look at four things quickly here. 
The first is the Bible would say to have the, the right expectations about friendships. And expectations come, I think, in two different categories. The first is the category of, of what your expectations of church and church family are. So in any group of people, you're going to have kind of circles of relationship. So Jesus had this in his life. If you read through the Gospels, he had three disciples that were really, really close. Then he had 12, then he had 36, then he had 120, and then he had the crowds. And so there's kind of these growing circles of people that he had relationships with. And sociologists would say the same thing is true about us, that we can high, uh, we can have anywhere between 100 and 250 people um, that are in our like network of people. There's a famous number called Dunbar's number, which is 150, kind of disputed. But then we can only have like three to seven really close friends. And so we, have, we also have this thing of, of growing circles of people. And so not everybody in a church, no matter how big or how small, is going, unless it's a church of like four people, is going to be able to be your best friend. It's just not the way that it works. And in fact, the Bible never promises. It never promises that a church is going to just be a group of really good friends. The metaphors that the Bible uses or the way that it talks about church is that we're actually a group of people who are different from one another. And we put Jesus in the center and we come from different walks of life with different expectations and, and different conversations, different ethnicities, different genders, and we focus ourselves in and around Jesus. The Bible often uses the metaphor of, of a body, that Christ is the head and we all have different parts of the body. We come together in and around him. And I think part of the problem for us is that we know this uh, that, that this is the expectation of church, that it, it is like a, a body of people that are different. But then in, internally, we still expect that everybody is a really good friend of ours. And so when people leave that are good friends, or we don't meet people who are like us right away, we quickly leave. And, and so our expectations, even though we know it in our mind, they don't match how we actually live and move and think about church. The second is the expectations of the season of life you're in. So I already talked about this, but I think we have to set our expectations for friends according to our seasons of life. Let me use my life as an example. When I was in university, at one point I lived with four other dudes in a really small house. And uh, yes, it was as messy as you, as you think it is in your mind. Whatever you have going on in your mind, that's exactly what was happening in our house. One of the things that we did, though, we had a lot of fun. Uh, we... we we had a clock on the wall, and we cut out uh, uh, the Halo symbol, which is a video game, and we put it over the nine on the clock. And it was forever referred to as Halo O'Clock from then on. And every night at Halo O'Clock, we would gather people from the house, and neighbors, friends would come, and we would play Halo for two to seven hours. Every single night. It was awesome. And you're thinking, did girls come? They did not. We didn't care. We had a great time. And it was, a, it was a lot of fun. And, and some of those people I'm still really good friends with to this day. We don't play Halo together anymore, but we chat or we'll, we'll text each other. Now, if I tried to do that, so it was a great friendship-making environment. If I tried to do that today, like if I put, if you come here next week and there's a Halo over the nine, and I'm like, yo, every day we're going to come in here, we've got a big screen, we've got a sound system, and we're going to have a LAN party up and I don't know if people still do that anymore, but we're going to play Halo in here for two to seven hours. I would hope that some of you would stage an intervention. Mark would be here, but the rest of you would stage an intervention in my life. Now, why? What if I was like, no, but I, you just said I need friends. This is a good way to make friends. You, you would stage an intervention because I have a lot of other good things in my life that are responsibilities. I have a wife. I have three kids. I have two jobs. I have a home that I help take care of. 
I have family members that live in the city. I have our church community. And all of these things are also in my life, and they are good things. They're good things that God has brought into my life to invest in, but they minimize the amount of time that I have to play Halo, very unfortunately, or Black Ops or whatever the thing is now that people play. And I think that we struggle with this because we have these memories of, of these times with rich friendships in our lives, but if our season of life doesn't match it, we, we still have the expectations lingering from those times for many of us. And I think biblically, one of the things that the Bible says about this indirectly is that Part of what it means to be human is to live a, a limited life. We're not God. We don't have infinite time. We don't have infinite capacity. I don't know if God is playing Halo two hours a day, but I, I kind of hope so, but I don't really know. But we just don't. We have a very limited capacity, and we're able to put our hands to just a few things. And part of it is accepting that capacity. If God has given other things for you to do in your life that are good things, not to become bitter towards those things, but to actually receive them as an opportunity to steward what God has given us. So there's this tension of what it means to be human, that we're li limited human beings, and at the same time, we're called to invest in friendship, that we know that that's part of what makes a rich life. So I'm going to try to be really, really practical here. If, uh, a good expectation, I think, is one to three good friends in this community, and one to three good friends elsewhere. One to three here, and one to three elsewhere. Yeah, some of you might be like, okay. Some of you are like, yo, three friends, way too many. And others of you might be like, six friends? Not enough? That's fine. As the BC Lotto Company says, know your limits, play within it, okay? I'm, not trying, I'm just trying to think, that's, I think, a, a decent expectation of what we can have. One to three. And if you have a spouse, I would say they, they need to be in that group of friends. They can't be the only person, but they need to be there. In my research this week, uh, one author said this, we all know couples who have sorely neglected their friendships, and we detect a certain sadness rising from them like toxic gas. So don't let your relationship be toxic gas. Okay, so that's expectations. Let's move on to commonality. C.S. Lewis in, in The Four Loves says this, the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. So to become friends means that you see the same truth. You're interested in the same thing. You have the same passions. You're headed in the same direction. Tim Keller in his great sermon on friendship, he says that friendships have to be found. You have to see, meet somebody, and there's an element of surprise. Oh, you, you're, you're interested in this too? I thought I was the only one. And Keller, or, sorry, Lewis continues. He says, that's why those people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing. And I don't care about the truth. I only want a friend. No friendship can arise. Although affection, of course, may. We can be like brothers and sisters, we can serve one another, we can care for one another, but there won't be a true friendship. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must be about something, even if it was only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Last week, I think there were some people who connected because they played online Risk together. Dominoes, white mice, Halo, online Risk. Whatever it is that you do, that's up to you. Whatever it is that you have in common with someone else. Here's the key sentence. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Friends have a commonality between them. They have something that they're about. And we have a leg up on this in the church community because there's something that we do share in common, which is Jesus, something that we share in common that we're passionate about. This is what binds Jesus' disciples together. You can't imagine how different these guys were from one another. But they come around and they say, oh, you're following this Jesus? Me too. Me too. Let's bind, let's 
let's, bound, let's be bound together. This is also what binds Paul to his various traveling companions. Paul is saying, I'm going to take the gospel to people who have never heard it before. You too, come along. Let's be friends. Let's work together. So in Christ, we have something that's even stronger, a stronger bond than whatever it is that we're into, whether it be white mice or online risk or anything else. Good coffee in the city, whatever it is, it's Jesus. And this is a question, I think, for, for those of us, if we're struggling with friendships, to ask yourself, is Jesus truly the center? And I hope that this is a place, and I know that it is, there's other people who are just passionate about Jesus that we can get alongside of and serve with and have something in common with. Two more. Spirituality is, is the next piece of the puzzle. And what we're talking about here isn't just friendship, it's spiritual friendship. And again, like, what's the difference between the two? Elior de Verveau says this, in spiritual friendship, there are never only two, there are always at least three. There are never only two, there are always at least three because Christ is present. Remember back to this picture in Genesis that God is present in all of our friendships. And so if we sit down together at a table as friends, then Christ is present with us. And because of this, friendships are never exclusive. Christian friendships are never exclusive. If, for example, Gareth can't just be my friend, I'm not holding on to that friendship and just saying being exclusive to everybody else because Jesus is already present and he's in the center. And so we're always open to inviting new people in. And I think this is a specific invitation to our community. Again, as we've had people leave, we may be very protective of the friendships that we do have here. But the, spirit, the invitation to spiritual friendship is always to open up those friendships both to God and to other people. I'll just say one more thing about this. Some of us have good friends who are Christians, but we don't actually have spiritual friendships. They're just good friends who are Christian because we don't acknowledge that third person in the relationship. Maybe that's your marriage. Maybe that's a good friend that you have. And that it's for it to be a spiritual friendship, there has to be almost about something more than just friendship has to be about discipleship and transformation and this picture of this tree becoming more like Jesus. Author James Mumford, he calls this brutal friends, finding brutal friends. He says that spiritual friendships are about grace, constancy, courage, but they're also about a greater cause than just the friendship himself, itself. And he, he says this, talking about Augustine. He says, we are in Augustine's Latin socios, that's the word Augustine uses, which is joint participants and associates in a goodness external to both of us. And if we believe that God is the source of all goodness, where my friend's good lies as well as mine, it follows that authentically other-regarding friendships will involve referring her to God. Every spiritual friendship will involve inviting people to become more like Jesus. He says, not coercively, pointing, not prodding, suggesting, not cajoling, sharing, not imposing. Spiritual friendships. And then finally... Friendships take not only spiritual friendships, they take more than that. They, they need to be intentional. We have to have some intentionality around them. Anne Snyder, who is the editor uh, and chief of this Canadian magazine, comments, she says this, writing about her relationships in the pandemic. She says, it's a small comfort to know that I'm not alone in waking up to the quiet melt of relationships these last few years. Like with so much else, the pandemic only accelerated the consequences of our inattentions. We invite, uh, yeah, sorry, we know that the fundamentals like friendship, Sabbath, nature, and all that could invite us to make and create are vital for flourishing. Yet somehow the nudges of a performative and very busy culture persuade us that the roots of life are sufficiently ancient as to need no watering. We'd rather die for perishable things. We choose lesser things and we pay inattention to things like our friendships. So the lie that we believe is that friendships will just happen. 
they'll just happen by themselves, that they don't need attention from us. But that's probably never been true, and it's probably no less true than it is today, as she says, in our performative and very busy culture. This is reflected again in the scriptures. If you read about, I think, the most famous friendship, Jonathan and David, they actually make a covenant together. They get together and they agree to be friends. Jesus is very intentional with the three friends, closest friends that he has. He ministers to the masses. He'll teach the twelve, but he'll take those three and he'll make time for them to go and be together to work on their friendship. And that's what the rule of life is all about. It's being intentional about the habits that are going to form us into the people of Jesus. And so that's the habit that I invite you into today. Again, no coercion, no uh, shame. It's just an invitation this week to take one hour and have a conversation with someone building a spiritual friendship. Sherry Turkle says this means uninterrupted, real-time, face-to-face conversation. Uninterrupted, not with your kids around. Real-time, talk, not texting, but talking back and forth. And the reason she says that is because in a friendship, you need to be able to be yourself. If you're a slow processor, that's fine. God loves you too. That's not saying you can't write letters or take your time to process information. It's just to say part of it is bringing our full selves and not, not performing all the time, which is what we do with social media and in various areas of our life. And then she says, as much as possible, face-to-face. Human interaction. So before I close, I, I want you to just actually take a minute on your own and just even just open yourself up to think, is there somebody that God is inviting me to this week to just take, take some time and, and get a coffee together or connect with? Or maybe if you, nobody comes to mind, just to, just to offer a prayer up to God. God, would you bring people into my life? So I'm just going to give you a second to think through that. If you want to text somebody and say, hey, can we get a coffee later this week? That's totally fine. Um, but I'll just give you a minute to think about that, and then we'll close. All right, I want to close to speaking to those of us who have had friends leave, and the tendency for us is to close ourselves up. And I think, I, I say that about our church, but I think that that's many of us in this city. We've, we've all experienced this. If people have left in the last few years through the pandemic or for whatever reason, and the tendency can be to close ourselves up, to guard ourselves from being hurt again because we open ourselves to a great relationship, and now we've lost. Um, one of my favorite bands is called The Weaker Thens. They're from Winnipeg. And uh, they wrote a song called Left and Leaving. And they talk about this feeling of being left as people leave over and over again. And, and that, it hurts sometimes. It feels like being broken up with. Even though they're a good friend and they've done nothing wrong other than move away, the tendency can still be for us to protect ourselves and close ourselves up. Does the gospel say anything about how we might open ourselves up to people? Well, in the gospel according to John... Uh, In chapter 15, Jesus has this amazing statement. He says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. A beautiful invitation from the God of the universe, echoing back to Genesis 1, that he wants to walk with us in the cool of day. He wants to be with you. And there's also that call to be friends with Jesus. Um, But the interesting thing is the timing where Jesus says this. He says this actually to his disciples right before all of them leave him. So one of them stabs him in the back and betrays him. Another one denies him three times publicly. And then all the rest of the disciples, it says that they leave. 
And I think I've been processing this and thinking over it over the last two years and as we've had people leave, and I think it says three things to me and just an encouragement to you as we close here. The first is that Jesus knows what it's like to lose friends. You know, I think part of the lie that I, I believe is in those moments of loneliness and the moments of hurt that God is very, very distant, that he's really far. But if anyone knows and is present at those times, it's this God, the Jesus who chose to come and leave this tight-knit relationship. We talk about it as the Trinity because they're so close with one another. Jesus chooses to leave that and be rejected by his friends. He knows what it's like to be left. And then Jesus also invites us into this great friendship, one where he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And in those loneliest moments and in the hardest moments of life, that's one of those times where if we can see that Jesus is present, we'll actually experience him as a friend. And that's an invitation to all of us to work on that friendship as well. But then finally, he teaches us to live with an open heart. And as we respond today, we're going to take communion together. Mitch is going to lead us through that. And it's this it's invitation for us to the pattern of the life of Christ, where he dies. And in Christ, he dies with his arms open in a very vulnerable position. And he invites us to that process as well, to, instead of closing ourselves, to open ourselves up to new relationships, to new friendships. Not because we are ready, not because we want to necessarily, but because we're following the pattern of Christ's life. And if you're just in a period of mourning relationships that have left, that's totally fine. I don't, don't hear me trying to rush you. But there's always this invitation to the life of Christ where he opens his arms once again and says, come, come to me, be friends. And we're invited to that same posture. And then the rising of Christ's life as well, that he dies, but then he rises. And the first thing that Jesus does when he rises is he goes and finds his friends, forgives them, steps into new relationships with people, empowers them. I think this is a great invitation for those of us and maybe something to ponder as we take communion, as we respond in singing together today. Let me pray to close as the band comes up. God, we thank you for your life. Uh, we thank you for Christ and how he invites us into this friendship in a very, very pointed way. So may we receive your gift of friendship today with you and also with one another. So I pray that you would, you would provide friendships, that you would grow friendships, that you would forge friendships in this place, that we would become people that are not just friends, but spiritual friends, and that we would accept this pattern of life, this dying and rising pattern that you invite us to, that came at great cost to yourself as we make friends with you and with one another. So make these things more true as we worship together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.